This is one of my favourite conversations we've had so far. Kate Osler started off as a PR exec and she's worked her way up to MD of one of the world's biggest music communities. As a woman working in the music and events industry, I wanted to learn more about her journey and how she's got there. Kate's done everything. She's run festivals. She's moved to Vegas to head up the marketing for Hakazan. She then came back as festival director for El Dorado and now she runs AEI Group as managing director. Kate's incredibly self-aware, she's very reflective, and I learned a lot from this conversation, and I hope you do too. But yeah, I'm really excited to get stuck into your story today because I think your experience is really interesting because you've mastered the art of promotion. You've kind of worked your way up in um, in many different roles. You've changed specialisms from PR to marketing to, to running businesses. You've changed industries. You've changed countries. <laughs> and now you're a COO. So I'm sure there's there's going to be lots to it to fit in today. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to find out how you've how you've done it all. So what I wanted to start off with is, um, I guess, just getting a bit of a summary from from your side of, of kind of where, where you kind of come from and, and where you're at today. And then we can start to unpick some of the biggest learnings um, that you've found along the way. But where did it all start for you in this in this world of, of music and events? So, I've, I mean, I've always loved the live experience. So I think as soon as I'd, it was probably something really sad, like a party in the park or dancing around the living room with my parents, like, who's obsessed with records. Um, I've always loved that live experience. And I think every time I've sort of touched it or interfaced with it, I've I've sort of been excited, but haven't really, you know, it's like you're figuring it out when you're younger. Um, and I went to, uh, when I went to off to uni, um, I figured out pretty quickly that if you hand out flyers for certain clubs, uh, you got into certain clubs for free. So I did that for a little while because that was my like little ticket to going out and stuff in the evening. <laughs> um, and also during like summers and things, got given the opportunity to like sell programs at festivals to go and see gigs. So I see some amazing acts and some amazing artists and stuff. Um, flogging programs. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I think <laughs> everyone start. If you've not started out flying on the streets, yeah. you, you've not done it right. You also to take a certain age bracket at that yeah. point now. Sort of flyering and postering is all sort of disappearing. But um, that's really how I started. And then after got to the end of uni and realised, like quite a few people that had no idea what I wanted to do, um, no no sort of clear direction or clear career path, um, which at the time actually was quite scary <laughs> I mean, you leave and you're like oh god that's it and you've got friends going off to be doctors or lawyers or teachers or really clear routes and I think for me I was like well I'm not wasn't sure what to do so I'd spoken to a couple of family friends and my parents have both worked across various industries and creative industries so I was really fortunate to speak to a number of really different people and just sort of figure out what people did and what sort of was going on in the world um, and then I ended up um, moving back to my hometown of Brighton and working in a bar music venue, really small bar music venue and doing bits of everything like making posters with photo, really bad posters. <laughs> we need to take them out later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and um, then booking like low-key booking bands, which again was not my forte, but um, really sort of experiencing those live moments and actually really enjoying I really always liked that sort of customer service vibe and being front of house and like all of those things so I was doing that a lot of the time and then still going out with friends and going to festivals in the summer and I ended up speaking to um this incredible woman called Jude 
who I actually haven't shouted at her before, but um, Jude, who was working for a company called Cake. Um, and Cake were a sort of leading brand advertising agency in London. They've done some incredible stuff. Like they work with brands like Evian and branded a swimming pool, um, which you could see on the flight path. It was one of the first things that happened. They brought Nintendo to the UK. Um, they'd done all the orange Glastonbury activations. So all of the light up tents and stuff. And one of their big brands was V Festival. Um, so it was hugely exciting. I had a, an interview as well an interview with her and um she basically said look come and do two weeks of work experience in london and i essentially just ran up um, to do this work experience um and started to get to grips with the world of an agency um and i think after those two weeks um i was just like oh my god i can't go back like i have to sort of be here because the learning was incredible and i really wanted to learn more about that world so because it was it was the interface between like brand sort of experiential marketing and um pr and that had just opened a new world for me so um at the end of the two weeks they were fortunate enough to be taking on an account assistant and i interviewed with the head of pr I was so nervous i think i wore like a suit or something really embarrassing. <laughs> never had to wear anything like that at work pencil skirt i know yeah <laughs> um, but i was just like please give me a job um, <laughs> And went and interviewed and um, they gave me a job um, there. So I, I obviously quit everything in Brighton and started initially commuting because obviously at the time jobs, like entry-level jobs in London aren't paid hugely well. Um, and um, I know that's changed a lot now. But um, at the time I was just like, just so excited to be part of it. And I think my first sort of clients were uh, a dating website, which was very new at the time. Um, uh, no swipey apps it was all very much like online and, and whatnot. Um, working with brands like Bovril nice love a Bovril can't yeah, go glamour. wrong <laughs> and uh, uh, Pot Noodle and um, stuff like that so I wasn't actually on the music team at that point um, but it was super interesting I got to work with um, some really interesting people and saw a completely different side of it um, doing PR but um, I really liked that sort of the wins so I, that was where I started to sort of get the idea of like actually calling and calling or emailing and starting to make connections and then winning pieces of coverage and getting pits in the newspaper and actually getting something in print is still, I still find that really exciting. When yeah. You, like you get something in a newspaper and you feel amazing um, or something on the BBC, like I'll never not be excited to hear something on Radio 1. Like, I just think oh, 100%. Thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> getting all your mum and your family yeah. to still tune in. <laughs> exactly that. So um, that's where it was all sort of starting and I think um, from there I got the opportunity to work so the whole agency used to work um, at V Festival every summer. So they'd take the whole PR team down and we'd basically do all of the pit runs with photographers, interviews across the site, um, working on the um, accreditation and things like that. And I think the first time I did that, it just completely blew my mind. Um, being at such a major event, you know, we, the first one I did was the Chelm, Chelmsford site. So it was two sites, Leeds and Chelmsford. And like being in the pit and being there and looking up and like the prodigy were playing one year and I just remember thinking oh my god this is just the best moment of my life <laughs> coolest get better job ever yeah the <laughs> coolest job ever and I was really desperate to be um to be on the team but they were really quite specific about who was on who was on what what team so I had the opportunity to do that every year but never to actually work behind the scenes on the shows and posting the interviews and stuff and I think 
I'd always really wanted to work in um, on the music side following that. Like, just so, ama- so amazing and some great stuff. Um, and then I worked for, um, uh, on Ben and Jerry Sunday um, with a really amazing team. Um, and I got the opportunity to work on the interviews and do the artist interviews, um, which again was just like mind-blowingly exciting. And this, is this all in like your first what, year or two of going? Oh my God, it was like the first couple to... of years in my job and I just was like absolutely, That's you know insane. Like, yeah, but also like insane, I think at the time, like the responsibility I was given, but the trust I was also given was amazing by the agency. They went out and they were like, off you go, go do it. Um, and oh I loved it and I remember having to run on Ash were headlining uh, it was a really family friendly fun festival um, everyone got you basically got a ticket you get free ice cream all day which was sweet amazing Sign me up. Um, and uh, Ash were playing and I had Tim Wheeler like on my wall for years when I was younger um, so for me that was super duper exciting um, but I had to go and get the set times that were gaffered on the front of the stage for a competition winner and I remember after they came off, they rattled, I was like, oh, it's Tim Wheeler. Um, I ran onto the stage and got the um, uh, set times and looked out at the crowd. And it's the first time I've had a main stage experience like that. Always been like a little person in the, in the, in the field and looking out on like thousands of people. I was just like, oh my God, this is insane. And that was it. I was like, I knew I had to go and... I had to sort of do something to do with live music and festivals from that point. It was a real, like, cemented in, this is what I want to do. Yeah, got the bug. And um, were, um, were you just learning on the go? Because I guess the first point of entry into the industry, there's um, there's kind of no manual to it in the early days. And you sound like you were exposed to, like, huge brands and then moving into the festival um, side of things. I remember with my own experience, I was kind of the same, started off flyering trying to DJ selling tickets and then um, I think it was Ollie who's who's one of our uh, directors at Mustard was like oh there's a job to do social at Park Life and I was like yes <laughs> and my job I actually to apply for it um, I thought right okay how can I show that I'm like in with all the artists so like I collated every selfie I'd ever had with an artist bearing in mind like we didn't really like smartphone cameras weren't as much of a thing then so I used to have this digital camera and I got photos of like Eat Everything Seth Troxler and that was my CV I was like look I know all the artists I'll I'll get all the content and he was like alright go, go and do it and I did I did it there I did it at hideout um and I guess I just was just I just wanted to do bits of everything I don't know if you were the same but I, yeah. I never said no to anything and anything that was given I was just I was determined to try and do it the best as I could whether it was making a coffee or doing a social post I was I was determined to do it as best as I could but also um because I was exposed to so many like incredible people so I was in the warehouse project office I could hear you know the lineups getting booked I could hear the security meetings I could hear the production stuff and it was I almost had an obsession of wanting to know how everyone was doing everything. And I think that's just always stayed with me um, throughout my whole career. It was just kind of like here today. I'm like, I want to know how you do it. <laughs> it just, it really intrigues me. But did, did you find that the same in, in your early days? Yeah, like I'm still now. I don't think I ever stop learning. Like, and particularly, you know, you and I have talked about marketing before. Like you're relearning constantly mm. and relearning actually constantly from a completely different perspective to your own. And I think um, I just... I, again, had, I've had the privilege in my career to work with some, with some incredible people and some incredible women, actually. I hadn't thought about this previously, but a lot of, at Cake, there were a lot of senior women in that company. And actually looking at all of these senior board members and being like, that's what I want. I want to be you. That's who I want to be. That really gave me a lot of driving force behind what I was doing. Um, but yeah, like like you say, 
I said yes to everything, which is probably why a lot of my career jumped about a bit. Um, <laughs> but like the, some opportunities just so exciting. And I've just really sort of been discovering, I, I'm part of it is discovering what you really like within it as well and figuring out which areas you want to sort of focus on because there's so much scope in the music industry, um, across the music industry and even in the live sector. There's so much scope to do so many different things. And I think I have no knowledge of any of those backstage roles or any of those opportunities up until going learning and figuring it out mm. um so i think that was um that was always there for me and i think now um even like looking back retrospectively and looking at how we're hiring and how um we're bringing together um festivals and our recording company and everything else it's like actually there's so much opportunity here there's so much for whether you're um, a budding accountant or a designer or a content creator, an ideas person, um, someone that's passionate about musical talent. There's so much scope to do that within music and not have to be the artist or have to be like a certain role, which is what I think, you know, when I looked at it, I was like, all I saw was like talent and bands and people. And that was like all I assumed, like, oh, cool, that's that's what's happening. And and actually looking at it now, it's like even now there's more and more and more and more roles that I'm sort of still learning about. Um, so that was PR at this point. Did you then move yeah. into marketing shortly after? Yeah. So I, I think during, like, I had the opportunity to work on some great shows. I worked, um, I got, I was given um, the opportunity to work on Somerset House Summer Series um, with one of the uh, brand agency partners and we worked together um, and we were doing the sponsorship for it and I got to do like, some Lily Allen gigs and some, um, I think who else was Grace Jones, uh, cool acts, and we had to put stuff into papers. And I was getting a bit frustrated with selling in. I think at that point I realised I wasn't a direct sales to sales, and and at the time press was very much like that. It was quite prescriptive, um, constantly uh, pivoting. But a lot of you know a lot of the big brands just want big national pieces of coverage, and that was what we were sort of aiming to get. And when you have to get uh, Coca-Cola presents uh, the summer series at Somerset House in association with Magnus Per Cider in like press coverage. <laughs> I was getting like just roll off the tongue. <laughs> but it was amazing, and I just I think at that point I knew um, that wasn't going to be long term for me. So I'd made a really good friend and contact at Cake who had recently moved up to uh, the Midlands um, and working uh, for a company called Asia Music Group um, across Global Gathering, and she was heading up all of their communications. Um, Vicky. Um, and Vicky had just sort of expanded the team up there, and she's like, look, we're looking for a marketing manager. And I know you've never done marketing in particular, but I think you'd be really great in this role, and I think you could really learn from it. Um, and I'd like to put you forward to interview. So obviously said yes never been to Birmingham never been uh, to the Midlands I don't think <laughs> other than other than Nottingham the West Midlands um, uh, so I was got on the um, so I just I, I basically um, invented a uh, sorry, I invented a doctor's appointment <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that out <laughs> got on the train um, and um, went up to meet um, a guy called James who was uh, running a Global Gathering um, Festival in the UK, but there was also international festivals. So uh, we had did shows in South Korea, uh, the Ukraine, Russia, Belarus. Um, and then they were doing stuff in South Africa. 
and also God's Kitchen. Um, and God's Kitchen is obviously a massive club brand um, in the Midlands, but also touring internationally, really predominantly a lot of the company's big business was international work. And then just doing standard club shows up there. So um, got on the train, met James, um, and spent an afternoon just talking to him about the shows. And James was um, a self-made man and was you know one of the uh, original guys um on the festivals and stuff and i was completely bought into everything that he was talking about like you know you can tell people music people are passionate about things and it their office was on a um farm um a farm in the henley and Arden. it was really beautiful i still think it's one of the most beautiful offices i've been to um in henley and Arden. i think during our interview a horse walked past <laughs> There were like <laughs> geese and all sorts of things. It was the most like non-music industry moment I've ever had. Um, and at the end of the interview, he was like, okay, great, you've got a job. Um, can you start in four weeks? And I was like, oh my God. So I remember the train journey down, I was racked with absolute guilt because I was like, I've now got to figure out how to have my notice in. I've never done that before. <laughs> um, and um, Kate were really lovely uh, about it and really sort of supportive. Um and then, you know, a month later, I packed my bags um, and drove up to Birmingham. And I was like, cool, so this is Birmingham. Right, wicked. Cool. And that was, that was, that was <laughs> it. What, like, I'm interested to think, like, what different hats you have to wear for PR and marketing. Because I guess my background's predominantly marketing and where it was, it's a bit of a hard nut to crack PR. And I think it's probably changed a lot in the past 10 years. And I guess our job is always trying to think, like, how can we make things PRable? Because... A festival lineup isn't necessarily that PRable anymore. But then I guess likewise on the PR side, I'm starting to see a lot more PR agencies do things like social and marketing because I guess the two go in hand in hand. So haven't had the view across both sides of it. They're like different things you think of with PR versus marketing and, and vice versa. Definitely. I think um, it is a 100% change since I worked in PR to where it is now. And like you said, actually there's so much more crossover with PR and marketing and actually a lot of it is communications. So... Um, I think it's an art. I don't think, I, I do still think there's like a PR and marketing uh, sort of scenario where you need to work with experts in that field if you don't have one there. Yeah. Um, I, th I think what does, what is starting to happen a lot more and happening really well is when PR and marketing work really beautifully together Yeah. and you're creating something like creating content or a concept or a piece where you can all shout about it. Like you're, Boris Johnson, Bada Bingo, <laughs> billboards, that's PR, marketing, advertising. It is. It's, it's everything all in one piece. Yeah. So I think you're seeing a lot more of that and it's clever, it's strategic. That's when it all works in harmony. I think, um, so when at the time for me, a lot of PR was pure selling to sites and um, newspapers and calling newspaper news desks and uh, getting up at times in the morning, which... My my colleague, uh, I think I remember her getting up at like two in the morning to make sure a news desk had a picture uh, to print, and she got this incredible piece in the Evening Standard. I remember that because it was just that dedication of like I'm getting up, I'm making sure it's happening. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's shifted and changed because the online world's completely changed, and how we're consuming media has completely changed. So it makes sense that a lot of um, PR now is a lot of voices as well as um, media outlets. So there's a lot of focus on who's talking, who are the right people talking. And we talk about influencers a lot. Um, and I think it's easy to think that influencers are just uh, people taking pictures of themselves on beach. But influencers, you know, there's a lot of really strong voices on social media creating their own content and creating um, conversation. And I think that's where I see a lot of, particularly in music, a lot of PR and marketing really blend well together is when 
you engage the right voices talking about your show and then everything sort of works effortlessly together um but i think you i think in marketing you really have to understand it mm. it was really good to understand it and really understand where it comes from because so much of your communication in marketing and how you communicate to your audience particularly now where everything's accessible like there were i guess there was probably a time where you could hide behind stuff previously nowhere to hide now it's right out there yeah um like even on sites someone sees stuff before you see it and it's online before you've even got there yeah so i think it's really important now that everything like now it makes so much sense that everything's working together and everything's collaborated together so that communications do flow and actually tone of voice has shifted from a press release to uh this is how we talk as a show this is how we talk as a brand yeah I've, I've been in so many meetings where it's like just trying to kind of come up with what press are going to cover and then as a marketing team you're like yeah this sounds great and it's really self-indulgent because it's like it's yeah. all about us and this is what we've come up with and our festival is amazing and then you kind of give it to the, the press agency but there's not been that collaboration then it just doesn't get picked up yeah. and I think something we've started to try and shift into thinking of and it doesn't necessarily work all the time I guess it depends on what hooks you've got but I always try and think in headlines and I always try and think like if you're trying to send this and again I've, I've not worked directly in PR but I'd imagine you're trying to kind of think if, if the journalist is going to write a piece like think of the headline for them or mm. kind of put the story together for them and I think what's getting harder and harder now is I guess um you know a lot of publications are very kind of click driven as you know it's 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 just the way it's going so it's almost like there's so many stories out there that you know you're trying to think what is what's PRable I think is one of the biggest mm. questions um, that I'm always trying to answer and I guess you know PR agencies are probably um better suited to answer that one but I think that kind of synergy between marketing coming up with something that's a bit more kind yeah. of story led or you know bringing in content creators or influencers to do something a bit different because it's just not enough to say we've got these artists playing in a field anymore like yeah. young people are so experiential now they've got all of these kind of quirky novelty things at the fingertips it's like how do you make your um and i think clubs have got, I've got a challenge with this as well in terms of how do you make clubs still feel like that rite of passage and experience yeah. because festivals are so sexy and shiny and there's all these activations whereas clubs what i don't want to happen with clubs is is, is for them to be left behind because for me that was my rite of passage into the industry and it's just your rite yeah. of passage into kind of dipping your toe into festivals and and the rest of it as well totally and i think I think the thing is PR has been telling, they've been telling stories for a long time. And I think some marketing, particularly music marketing, is very has been very sales focused, you know. Um, I think my first, when I first started um, Global, um, I was told to answer one question in every move I made. Does it sell us tickets? <laughs> I might as well get that tattooed yeah. on my forehead. But does it sell us tickets? And um, that like, you know, and I think that a lot of, a lot of uh, shows do that and like that. I mean, we, we still do. And um, But actually, like, you know, things have evolved into storytelling. So much of it's storytelling. So in some ways, PR has been so much further ahead of everything in that sense because they've been telling stories and creating features and ideas and content and really sort of bringing it out. And I think whereas it, it's, it might not be that, does it might not sell you tickets straight away, but I think it's so important in terms of brand building and um, re sort of telling a different story from a different point of view because yeah. so much of your show is from your perspective. So it's great to have other voices talking about your show. So yeah, I, like... <laughs> no, I, I love the point of storytelling and um, 
something I try and think about with social is um, you're right, like festivals, it's quite easy to get. Um, I mean, festivals are fun, but like lineup, lineup, lineup isn't fun. Or like this is a stage, this is the field. It's very like product driven. And I think there's there's a big element in there in storytelling. But if you think, I always say to people running social channels, like if you were a magazine, your festival's a magazine and you need to put out a monthly edition you couldn't just you could not just post photos in a magazine and say buy this magazine you have to storytell categorize things pick out playlists pick out features you know join the dots really on like just cultural talking points where your festival's in the middle of it and then and the press naturally think of that and I think festivals and brands need to just think of it in 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 that in that way really to kind of get a story across because I love the analogy of um uh, sell, the sizzle, sell the sizzle not the sausage like the sausage <laughs> yeah. is, um, is the festival and you kind of you know we need to get that across and sell tickets but like the sizzle is everything around it like the experience the emotions the whatever kind of all these kind of cultural touch points that I think you have around the festival are, are so important to um, to touch upon totally bringing it back to the feeling like ultimately it comes back to that feeling of you st- that customer that person stood in a field feeling everything around them that's what you've got to try and sell effectively yeah. Yeah, yeah totally buy into that um so what was your next move then so this was you were working on um was this at angel and then what was the next move from there oh sorry at, at global yeah so i was at global for about i think five years um saw a lot of change new brands started um the international market changed facebook suddenly became a very important social media platform mm. um, at what point did you did you join Global? Like, how many years was were they into running the festival? Um, so I joined in 2010, um, midway through uh, their campaign. Um, so they'd launched the lineup um, back end of the year. Um, and I think I joined, I can't remember, maybe March time. So I sort of was picking up what they'd already planned. So they'd already planned the campaign and I just learned how they'd done it, which is actually quite good because it was obviously high pressure in terms of tickets, like selling tickets, but low pressure in terms of having to come up with ideas myself on everything because you're just sort of learning the ropes at that point of how what it means to run and actually it was my first real experience with um paid advertising okay yeah understanding what that means because that was like a bit of a dark art at that point wasn't it oh my gosh like people it just was so new to everyone i think it still is (laughs) (laughs) is. no one's cracked it apart from marks i know i mean and it changes every week so i think it's still (laughs) one of those things that you do need a little ninja in there who can do everything but um yeah it was I, i remember sort of getting sort of budgets and sort of going okay cool yep we'll spend that on that and that on that and um not really connecting the dots in the same way because I'd never done it before. I think I spent 20 grand at the time on a radio ad and I just heard James go, Get! <laughs> <laughs> and I'd just gone, Ugh! And he was like, Did you confirm an ad campaign? I was like, Yeah. <laughs> it's radio. Uh, Loads yeah. of people listen to radio. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, that was really brilliant though because it gave me a lot of understanding of actually... Um, budget and money and I think a lot of promoters will tell you like you know you're only as good as your last show and a lot of you know a lot of the thinking is like unless you've lost your own money it's really hard to really value how much you spend and that was I think where Global was brilliant is James was really like solid on budgets and made me understand budgets and actually like you know, when, when you're spending someone else's money and you know that person, it's not a blind company your money you're spending, it's you know that person, it's their money. Um, you know, it's every pound you spend has to go towards selling tickets. So 
being really conscious of where everything goes and then being really conscious of what you can do outside of that as well so um that was so it was learning the ropes with that um um over the first sort of few years and then finally getting to um do my own campaign um which was really exciting um and running um sort of sort of ended up i think i ended up getting promoted to head of marketing at one point because vicky had moved on and we sort of shifted um uh, how we'd run stuff in the offices so I ended up starting to work across some of the other brands I really focused on the UK festival and the club shows to start off with um, so that was also fascinating um, just getting insights from international partners and how they do stuff and in particular I remember the Ukraine being absolutely incredible they were so joined up with everything that they did yeah hyper organized everything was super like finessed and well done and I just learned so much from looking at what other countries were doing as well as what we were yeah so yeah it was um definitely um an interesting time and flyers and posters and things like that were still very prominent and mm. that was uh, still a massive part of ordering hundreds of thousands of flyers and definitely had one or two spelling mistakes and i was just <laughs> seeing them in print and going oh good god that's me. <laughs> um so yeah that was my other thing was my the attention to detail that you need to have particularly when you're paying for stuff and that was something I picked up from James because he would always be able to find a comma out of place or something out of place. And I was like, right, I have to prove him wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but working in the in the festival industry, it's pretty. It's often flat structures, and you're right. It, that pressure of like it being like your boss's money basically, and there's not that many layers yeah, above you. It totally. just gives you this really critical mindset of mindset of what you're spending your money on. And then that was probably around the time when like it was probably what like eighty twenty on physical digital, and then suddenly that shifts to um. Yeah. But the beauty of that was you could go, you could see ROI, you could see the clicks you're getting for the money. So you can go, you can go to the guy who owns the festival or, or girl or person and say, you know, this is what we're actually getting for it. And yeah. I think it starts to empower your decision making as a as a marketer, and you're not just kind of a run and blind. But I I almost feel like it's gone full circle in that it went really really digital but then it got to the point where like brands just felt a bit too digital and, and then you know going back to like that billboard idea that you mentioned before it's like you still need to have that presence where it feels real it feels tangible it's like it's it, you know it's things that people talk about on the ground because mm -hmm. the downside of digital is that the reach can be huge but the dwell time is 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 nearly nothing you know it's so hard to get yeah, people and well. I see myself do it I'm like, like yeah. just watching my thumb go and go yeah. and go so to get anyone to spend more than two seconds to actually listen to what you're saying is really difficult and I still think there's a power in physical mediums and you know you can be a bit more um a bit more playful with it one year with uh, with lost and found we did um scratch card flyers because we thought we don't want people to just chuck them in the bin let's do something a bit more playful let's kind of gamify it and people will hold on to it and um you kind of you know you remember it and you'll probably go back and tell tell someone about it um when you go back to your house i remember when bicep um uh, one of their albums came out years ago and they had loads of these like really old school look like someone had done it on microsoft paint um, uh, about the album, but it had those like tear offs at the bottom, and yeah. I think it was like a yeah, um, like a like a burner number, <laughs> yeah. and you had to text it, and yeah, then you yeah, found yeah. out about. Uh, you probably got a sent sent a link to the album, but uh, yeah, I think there's still value in 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 out of home and more kind of the traditional physical uh, mediums. But again, just be a bit more playful and think outside the box of what would um what would make people stand up and notice it. So, how long was that period at Global Gathering? Um, while you were there, it was five. I think it was five years. Yeah, five, five years. years. And did it did it scale? Did it change in that time? Yeah. So um, there was a number of so Global was owned part owned by Live Nation and part owned by Mama Group, um, and then um, HMV 
then came in and bought various parts and then HMV sold various parts <laughs> and then Live Nation came in more predominantly um, across um, everything. So that was interesting as well because I, I had zero understanding of the big companies and the corporate world. So that was really, that was an interesting time. And then we um, moved, the offices were in Stratford-upon-Avon and then we moved uh, down to London um, to be in the MAMA offices with uh, the MAMA festivals, which was brilliant. That was a really fun time. Um, so I think that was the last, when um, James eventually moved to America, um, we moved down and we were sat in the MAMA offices. Um, and yeah, learning from uh, Lovebox and the, I think Wilderness had started the year before and Great Escape and all of their venue teams and just a lot of really experienced festival promoters, marketers, uh, people in production and stuff where, which was incredible just to learn from other people and see what other people were doing at the time. So yeah, that was that was an interesting move. Um, so moved down to London and then fully lived, uh, lived back in London again, which was amazing. I loved it. I was ready at that point. <laughs> and then your next step was in, I guess, hospitality? Yeah, so I moved to Vegas after, so Global Gathering had their last year, 2014. And I moved to Vegas in the autumn. Wow, big move. It was a big move. <laughs> <laughs> I think at the time I did the same thing. I was like, yeah, I'll move to Vegas. That'd be great. <laughs> um, and then obviously it becomes a reality. Yeah. And I moved with three suitcases. And I just, again, my mind completely blown. It's another world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I went to be marketing director for Hakkasan Group. And I started work on um, the MGM properties, which were Hakkasan Nightclub, uh, Wet Republic Pool Party, and then the Hakkasan Restaurant there. Okay. Yeah. Quite a mixed bag. It was a mixed bag. And I'd never worked in food or in other than Bovril and Pot Noodles. <laughs> one would argue slightly different. Uh, Did you use that in your, in your interview? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got F&B experience. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. Completely different. Actually, marketing completely different in America. Mm, um, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, and big, bigger budgets, big, huge, enormous budgets, which was exciting. Yep. Um, and just um, selling the same amount of tickets I'd sell for a festival every weekend. So completely different ballpark at that point. Um, yeah. Uh, but like a complete crash course in um, American business, I think. It was a pretty intense time. But um, another world, and I think what America do fantastically well is they know how to monetize an experience and they know how to create something incredible that keeps people inside um, okay, for, yeah. for a longer period of time. So th yeah. the whole thing is set up from start to finish and you sort of feel like <laughs> like even from buying your ticket, once, once you've bought your ticket and once you're in the venue, like, you know, you're there until... God, like God, is, I mean, there's no clocks in any casinos or anything like right, that. Right, okay. They, yeah. they just know, they know how to do it. And I think America, the different shift in terms of clubbers, which is obviously different to UK, you're just selling tickets. Tickets represent such a small part of um, how you sort of generate revenue. Um, nightclubs, so a lot of the nightclubs about VIP tables and creating these incredible experiences for customers to up, like upscale and uppay their experience. And then, um, obviously, like like Habitha, similarly, it guest list and making sure that there's masses of people. And so you've constantly got a flow yeah. of people coming in and out. So 
that was absolutely fascinating experience work with some incredible people but yeah it was going from sort of like penny pinching and that to suddenly having these huge budgets and again a little bit daunting it's a way to actually spend this when you stuff and like yeah Yeah, the little pennies um and i at the time i joined just as they were launching their new nightclub omnia and omnia had this enormous moving has this enormous moving chandelier on the inside incredible venue like one of the most amazing things i've ever seen um and all of it set up obviously to be that instagram moment and that Mm. again was another incredible like marketing learn for me was like actually this is created because most of the marketing is coming from people taking photos with a camera out showing that experience and instantly you take a picture of that you know exactly where you are yeah and i just thought it was just super smart and super clever it's all really well thought out so um yeah that was it, it was um it was really opens your eyes to another level of how to create and how actually like obviously we think about our content we think about our production but how interlinked everything is like it's not production this is what the show is now sell the show yeah everything's done together everything's thought out together everything's really well planned as a whole yeah which means everything is more seamless now it's an interesting point you've mentioned because i've noticed in a lot of the sessions where we're planning out marketing it's actually really hard to just plan marketing on its own we either need to bring PR in often we're kind of pushing for production elements at the festival for that very reason it's like it needs to be Instagram Instagrammable it needs to be a moment on one of the um the previous panels we did uh, I think we had Tom Ketley on from uh Fly Rob Star from Eastern Electrics and Nick from from Yacht Weeks who are all yeah super 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 creative people and we were talking about this book called The Power of Moments and really the heart of the book is the idea that the only thing you really re- remember in life are moments like I'll probably remember this well def- definitely will remember this conversation but I won't know what I had like for, for breakfast yesterday because <laughs> it's just so yeah. insignificant but it's the idea of how, how can you engineer moments in your marketing sometimes it does need a bit of production but they are the things in terms of impact versus effort you know it's worth kind of throwing all your energies into the things that people remember rather than trying to do a million things at once that, that don't really stick but yeah I think that's a trend that we're going to see more and more of and that you know going back to the point I said before of just having to really battle with this uh, whole experiential element and I know it's you know it's a budget question it's you know people can't often always invest that but it's always trying to think how can people come away with those experiences because it's just going more and more like that and I think um you'll kind of get left behind if, if you're not thinking in that way I also think it's like picking what you're good at and doing it really well yeah I think so many we can fall into the trap so easily of trying to do everything really well but it's actually saying what are we what what do we want to be known for like if like you said if we if someone leaves what is the main thing they want to take away yeah and you know like for omnia you're going to know that chandelier and that production is going to be the best nightclub you've ever been in yeah and i think when you sort of when the standards are like that and when the standards are that high even with a fe- like a festival or a club show or an event like what you want that moment to be what you want to take it away and just doing that really really well really well thought out that's I think I think that's all of it really. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, you end up booking twenty rounds worth of radio ads over here. Like, <laughs> don't connect with over here, and you know, yeah. you can make all of those mistakes. And I think it's like you know, we've talked about this in terms of marketing. Like, a lot of it comes from agitation and fear of like we've got to sell the tickets, we've got to do this. Yeah. We've got to like there's numbers to hit, there's targets to hit, and that's those pressures are always going to be there and underlying. Um. 
but the really clever piece is like you can get everything to work together and you can just focus on that that's what we're good at that's our usp yeah let's go for it and when you talked about the um i think it was interesting when you were talking about the volume of of shows and it was basically like a festival every week which suddenly there's a difference of having all year round to promote this one event and there's so much tlc that goes into it how did you find suddenly having to do that like every week like how do you kind of balance your efforts and your time across such a high volume of shows which you know with the same ticket targets basically so there's a lot more people yeah (laughs) a lot more people um and um i think in terms of marketing knowing that actually so much of what we do is is the brand awareness and actually we had so the way the sort of marketing teams are structured is the vip marketing teams okay who focus on big clients and people that come to vegas and nurturing relationships so i guess in a uk sort of frame of mind thinking about like that with your maybe your influencers or your big group bookings or people that come back and back and it's that still that direct customer relationship so there's a whole team dedicated to doing that to bringing people in to knowing when certain people's birthdays are and when they're coming in and then um in terms of our team in terms of selling tickets and shifting tickets there's there's probably an amount of tickets in every show like any show you have you know there's an amount of tickets with when you put it on sale you could just put it on sale with a poster and there it is you know there's an amount of tickets in there and then it was layering up campaigns so for america announcing residencies across multiple venues and things is how it's done and then you've got these monster lineups coming out so you know when you're going to vegas most people come and they'll be like oh i want to see calvin harris or i want to see tiesto yeah um um so you know you've got the sort of headline appeal there straight away um but then it was creating sort of unique campaigns within casinos as well as um online so i think a lot of what we what you do is when people arrive so the vip element is the sort of done in advance and lots in advance and you're selling the tickets in advance but also it's capturing people when they arrive in america as okay, when yeah. they arrive in vegas so obviously billboards and things but you know it's like how do you when people arrive how do you make sure that they come into your venue and come into your spot yeah it reminds me of ibiza i guess it it's, a, it's, similar it's a similar vibe it? i think um particularly when it comes to like each you know clubs and venues and spaces need to be full the whole time they're expensive to run yeah it's really important so it's like how do you make sure that there's enough people that you're oversubscribed every night <laughs> yeah to ensure people come through um but it's interesting because then you're working with in vegas you're working with hotels and concierges and casinos and then it's like you've got teams working the strip and working on flyering and signing people up for guest list and then you've got all of this sort of everything into playing together so it's it's a machine it's a yeah. huge machine um but also tactical brand campaigns because most of it a lot of it comes a lot of the marketing that we did was what it like about the club about the brand about like actually when you come to, before you even come to vegas you know you're going to one okay so that's that's what that's the work you do so it might not necessarily be an instant ticket but before you come you've heard of it you know it it's the club that people talk about yeah and that's where a lot of the marketing focuses and then it's like the direct sales element is obviously when you're there similar to i think similar to Ibiza. yeah yeah so you were there for two years was it yeah i was there for two years um learned absolutely loads but decided um i think at the time of my life 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was ready not to be in the club, the club every weekend. <laughs> I think I got to the stage where I wanted to, um, I wanted to progress further and I wanted to learn more and I knew actually I loved it, but I didn't, I wasn't in love with the music in the same way I had been before. Yeah. And I think to work in this industry, you do have to love that element because it can be relentless otherwise. And yeah, it's so, the only reason you're putting in the the, the graphs and the um, yeah. the early mornings and late nights. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and I think you know, lots of my friends were getting married and having babies. And I think holiday-wise in America, like standard isn't a lot. So yeah. then it was just like actually at what point do I start to put some roots down somewhere? Because I'd moved quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I moved quite a lot and I was actually like, actually probably ready to sort of find a base. Um, so yeah, I sort of left the States and came back um, and decided I was going to do some freelancing. So I was, had some projects lined up. But I was like, I think I was at one point going to go to a yoga retreat or... <laughs> <laughs> proper midlife crisis yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> like um, and I got back and I got a text from Luke and Jenny who were working at AEI saying so we've started a festival and we could um, <laughs> use some input and I was like oh okay I was like oh, I'm not sure whether um, I'm ready to start work yet like you know I might go to my yoga retreat um, but then we, we had a coffee in London it was really interesting because um, that was they just started El Dorado. Oh, cool! Um, and I've always liked Luke and I worked together um, on Global Gathering. Um, right, like he founded UKF, so UKF will the I think their first festival stage. I think you might correct me on this. I think was at Global Gathering, so it was really exciting. Um, I moved to stage one year. Well, not me personally, but I moved to stage one year to be closer to the backstage bar. So he <laughs> was doing me a solid. Um, but yeah, so we, we then chatted and I met the team for El Dorado. And I just thought, I mean, I think everyone's fair to say it was a bit of a mess at the time because it always is. Yeah. You start a show, it's chaos, it's crazy. And everyone's like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, but the concept, the idea, the heart, um, everything everyone was working on together was amazing and when you see potential like that it was exciting it was really exciting um, I definitely was mm, I don't know I, I think when I came back I was a little bit more risk averse um, than I was when I went I think festivals definitely more risky and you take a lot more risks but I think when because I was so it was everything so structured in the corporate world and the corporate environment you, you playing with a lot of money I think I was a lot more risk averse so I think initially I was like starting a festival <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> when you were wanting to have a break at a yoga retreat and then going into yeah. a festival could not have been any more opposite but um I love the team I still love the team um, yeah and I love all the ideas and I loved the, the different groups of people um that came together within it and I like I think got back to it and then I just had that buzz again and like that for me I was like okay cool I'm back yeah Empire. great El Dorado seems to have such a um, a unique vibe to it I've not actually been so I need to um I this need... year Sean. yeah <laughs> this year I'll be there front row um but yeah what is it that makes it unique like when you first came in what was that kind of like bit of magic that you saw over there so I think I, I personally think with every show when you've got a really amazing team that work on it and work backstage on it and everyone works really well together 
and everyone loves it and is doing stuff, I think you end up with an amazing show. Like some of your best love shows have got really wonderful teams working behind it that everybody cares. Because yeah. I think you can feel it. I think you can feel it in the atmosphere and the vibe. And also because your friends are friends and friends and friends and friends and friends and friends start yeah. to come. There's a real community there already before you've sold tickets to someone that's never even heard, like never come before. Yeah. So for El Dorado, I think um, uh, the party and the sort of experience was really always front of mind. Um, you know, as an indie show, you don't have the same budgets as every other people, so you can't compete necessarily in some of those worlds. But what we did have and what, um, so the partners on the show, Cirque du Soul, because it's a Cirque du Soul name, I venture. And what Cirque do really well with club productions and club shows is creating this amazing production-led um, uh, travelling circus, I guess, across the UK. Yeah. And I think that's what we sort of created, um, tried to bring to the festival. And a lot of... At the time, I think a lot of our sort of like, you know, shows that like everyone admires and loves sort of were disappearing. So like Bestival and Secret Garden Party had sort of come to the sort of natural, were coming to or come to a natural close or had reached like big capacities where it had changed for the small boutique shows. And there's a lot of interesting shows starting to appear in that time. And I think that was when it was like actually thinking about what we do well. What do you do well? Okay, so if we can't compete here and we can't compete here, what we do really well is throw a really good party. Yeah. So let's just throw a really good party and put our energy into that. Um, but it takes a few years, yeah. <laughs> as you know, because <laughs> um, festivals are really expensive. Yeah. And um, it takes time to start working, um, to build the team, build the backstage team and start getting a flow of what's working and what's not working. Um, but I think, you know, once we'd worked a year together in 2017... We learned so much, and by 2018, we produced the show we were confident in and sold out. So it was the first sort of sold out show um, festival that we did, um, and that was when it was like actually cool. That was the feeling of being like I think we sat some side we were talking together. It's like this is the festival. Like we've created this. This is the festival. This is what it is now. Okay, yeah. Um, and so the excitement now is making it better and better and better and building more parties and more elements and building more into it and more fun and more games and just sort of coming up with new concepts within sort of our magical little world <laughs> is it being it was a 2017 when you came back yeah and was yeah. that around the first year of the festival yeah so the first year was in 2016 yeah so i missed that year um that was when they launched and then um i joined so i came back end of 2016 and joined them in 2017 okay cool yeah so what does it um i guess it's it's due to happen in the summer what does it or what's it about to look like now versus then like what's changed <laughs> i saw some eldorado um i saw a lot of um out of home and billboards on me on my well, way yeah i mean we can afford a billboard <laughs> yeah it looks good uh, yeah no uh it's um so what we've created is like i guess the brainchild of um the creatives in our team is just a number of different areas and experiences. There's a lot more walkthrough experience. So the difference between, I guess, 17 to now is obviously one, the scale. So we've moved from, I think we were about 5,000 people originally. We're now going into a year of about 12,000 people. Wow. Um, so it's a jump. Yeah. You know? um, but we, um, I think the difference now is the level of production. So we've built upon, like, so over the past few years, we've built up 
um, production concepts and we've started to work with amazing fabricators and partners to create these worlds so they've started to build and I think this year will be the real I guess uh, pinnacle for us in terms of creative because we've had two years sadly no shows but it's given us the opportunity to come up with actually what is what are these concepts and how do we start to get these built so we've been doing a lot of building and fabrication work over the past two years um, to get to this summer so a lot of it's um, very creative very creative production led um, we're moving to four days where we were three originally oh wow yeah so Thursday arrival um, which I think will actually just take the pressure off the weekend a bit I think I don't know when you like you arrive and then you have to go and then it's the good like I think it's a bit much whereas yeah. I think we wanted to like make the holiday sort of experience feel a bit better so you can arrive yeah. and be relaxed and I've had some of my out. best nights at a festival that first like pre-camping it's night it's great like it's a ball you get to meet everyone who's camping there's like some little like, pre-parties popping off yeah exactly and it's just a nicer I think it's a nicer start it creates festival communities are amazing as soon as everyone arrives on site like for the weekend it's, it creates that community early so I think that's what we want to start to that's what we wanted to start to create is that more of that holiday experience and we've added more elements to the festival um throughout the days and throughout the weekends that aren't just necessarily party because I think initially it was just party yep. party yep. um it was it's more like you know we've got a wellness space we're in hot tubs by the lake and we've got restaurants and um amazing eating experiences um and then a lot more sort of daytime entertainment and daytime programming and talks and uh workshops and things so that there's a bit more like it does feel like you're sort of going to on going on holiday for the weekend i guess oh amazing yeah. where, can, where can i get a ticket we just need a video of you pitch, <laughs> pitching it in that's, that's the market and done everyone can go home <laughs> so you came back as festival director mm -hmm. what was the because you've gone from director of marketing to running a whole festival in a business so how did that happen what did that look like what was new what was different um so i guess um Marketing tends to, I, I, I don't know your, how you feel, but in a lot of festival companies, you have eyesight across everything, pretty much. Yeah. So you cover every single facet. And during my time at Global, I learned so much from production and from working directly um, with James, who's running it, and working directly with a lot of the partners that you do pick up a lot of um, those elements. And by the time I'd left... Um, I was a lot more involved in sort of the organization of the show. So, and then in America, similarly, you aren't just focused on the selling aspect, you're focused on working with all of these different teams. So a lot of, there's a lot of project management elements in marketing as well. Um, and, you know, running budgets, running production, running areas. And I saw about that time, you know, coming along and working on to, working on El Dorado, um, putting together budgets and understanding, like it wasn't, too different to what I'd done before I think I'd never set up a show from scratch but you've got so much experience of these numbers these suppliers what you should be paying what you shouldn't be paying which partners you should be working with etc um, it sort of plays into that project management element of marketing just spinning loads of plates constantly 24-7 <laughs> yeah exactly and I think with all of it with anything like running a show you have to work with experts and people that get their area better than you get yeah um so i think you know finding a great production partner um 
then also working with you know understanding sponsorship and partnerships and how that interfaces with the show and then um working with people that understand marketing better than i do yeah <laughs> fair enough though getting people kind of who were good in those areas probably even better than than what what, what you are just Definitely. so you can kind of actually delegate then and not get tied up in the day-to-day like were there many situations that you were in which i imagine running a festival and again i've, I've seen part of this as you say working on marks and you just kind of get to see all of the things that go well and go wrong and just kind of the many 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 unprecedented things that happen you know we've been on site at a festival before a festival before and like the castle we were using we couldn't use on the day but then suddenly we found a backup castle <laughs> and about, i imagine running a festival every day is like that times 50 yeah so when um yeah when you're in those situations like how have you handled it how have you known where to find the right answer like what does that process look like um i think you with experience you learn to step back because as you say like with festivals you create that perfect space and everybody arrives and the un- unexpected always happens yeah so i think um you definitely have to always take a step back because otherwise i mean i've definitely reacted in the wrong way previously um you know being like oh my god having a small panic yeah it's fine yeah um but um i think uh like you have to have a calm head on you because someone needs to in that space and always like you work with a team it's not none of this is run in isolation like actually my role in some ways is such a small role in comparison to the rest of the, the whole machine we all play an essential cog yeah. in making it happen so i think you know we've talked about teamwork before but actually knowing when to bring your best heads in to solve big problems and not solving them alone ever mm. because there's always solutions across the show so that's um i think it's it's making sure that you know who the right people are and having the right people working with you yeah and then just bringing them together to sort of help you help you with it i think anytime anything's done in isolation it's never as good as bringing in yeah your team and solving it together as a group and going okay cool we've done that and there's a different pressure, I imagine, with the book then stopping with you. I know you mentioned earlier on, you know, it's so different when you're kind of spending budgets, but then when you know it's that festival owner's um, budget to spend, you have a bit of a different hat on. But then suddenly it's kind of your it's your whole budget that you're managing and you're kind of understanding what it's like for, for every penny to count. So was there like, yeah, did you feel like you needed to transition in, into the way that you were thinking in that sense? No, I think it was so ingrained. It's so ingrained at that point. And festivals are personal yeah like the you know like everybody every promoter i've met um and in, any person that working on their show like i you know you and i went to the aif congress this week you meet marketing managers from their show that care about it as much as that person and those are the people you want in your team yeah so um yeah no I think I, can't, I actually can't remember what you just said. It's just that the pressure of the book stopped, uh, stopping with you because you're oh, going yeah. from like director of marketing for someone else's brand, and suddenly yeah. you're the festival director of yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, no, no, totally. I think I think I've always cared, and I think the important thing is to have people that do care. So yeah. when the buck does stop with you, it's not just you. It's not just you. It's you, everyone. You, you do, and but you care enough, and you're sensible enough to know that um, the, the impact that you have on someone else and someone else's livelihood on, on the whole show. Yeah. And how did you find, um, I guess you're then, you know, you're leading the whole team then. It was the things, um, you know, just kind of moving more and more into leadership roles and work-life balance and leading from the front and suddenly everyone looking at you for the answers. Like, how how did that feel? Um, I've always liked working, like, uh, with a team. Like, I don't know, I think 
so much of leadership is making sure you're providing opportunities for other people within your team. Yeah. So I've always really enjoyed that aspect of it and seeing other people. Go, like, there's nothing more exciting than having like people that you've worked with previously going off and doing really cool stuff and then feeling like, oh, God, it's happened. <laughs> They've done it. Proud parents. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think more so than ever, like particularly on a show, it's giving people the opportunity, like the same opportunities I would give, I was given from, you know, the start of my career to be able to take that responsibility and to fail or succeed and learn from it and move on and know that it's not the end of the world. Yeah. I think it's really like, every, particularly I see it with a lot of high drive, high ambitious people, and young people coming through, and particularly if you care so much, you know, we're in a passion industry. Yeah. You really punish yourself if something goes wrong, but actually it's so important to go, okay, made a mistake and have somebody go, okay, so how do we solve it? Yeah. And getting you to solve that because that's the only way you learn and you constantly learn from making mistakes and trying and starting again. So, um, yeah, I, I've, I've always loved it and um, I feel very privileged to be in that position and have, take it really seriously because I think so many people took it really seriously with me. I was really lucky yeah. to work with so many people that invested in me and took time and gave me those opportunities yeah. so that I could say yes. Yeah. So, I, I, like, you know, I'm really conscious of making sure that that's something that I do for other people that work with me. Yeah. So El Dorado um, is growing and growing. Um, you're progressing as, as festival director. It's all going really well. What was the next step for you then? Um, so I was just, I was consulting really at, the set, at that time. So I wasn't full time um, on El Dorado. I was just consulting a few days a week with um, the team and then also working very closely with AEI on their live strategies, um, but also across the business, working with the founders and, and, and owners. And at that time, um, the three owners of the company uh, just sort of took me under their wing and brought me brought me into the business, really. Um, so I got to start working with their board of directors and we started to talk about new strategies and new structure for the business um, and got a lot more involved in... Um, the wider strategy, the wider strategy and um, the vision for the group and how ev all of the different brands that they work with start to come together. And again, you know, that excitement light bulb <laughs> goes off um, because it's huge, like a hugely dynamic business and suddenly there's all sorts of different brands and different areas of, of, of the music industry. So I was absolutely fascinated. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with AI, can yeah. you just give a quick overview of like what the company yeah. is, what you um, what you look after day to day? So uh, we're a music community um, and um, we're a group of uh, music ventures. Um, so we run things from, um, we have a recordings business in-house, the publishing business. Um, we also have festivals, live events. Um, and we've recently uh, delved into uh, the shared workspace world of which we're sat. Yeah, lovely. Uh, the Halley. So Halley is our sort of physical embodiment of our community. Um, and it's a sort of co-work space, music studios, gallery space. And the idea is to bring freelancers, music independents together um, and start to create that collaboration and that unity and that camaraderie. Um, because uh, working in the music industry, a lot of people work independently. So it's about bringing them together and I think AEI has always sort of done that, brought in all these industry outsiders like myself, yeah. brought them together and you end up with this fantastic team of people and extended network. So uh, our offices are just sort of up the road and we'd always had people like me, you know, consulting or freelancers or people that were we were working with that were just sort of sat in our office. So the natural step was to create a space 
to bring more and more people into that community. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we do. <laughs> and what was the role that you came came into AI as? Um, so I originally came in, um, so I was consulting and then I became a festival director for El Dorado and then I came, then I was asked by the CEO um, to join as the COO, mm-hmm. um, which is a really big title um, and <laughs> a lot of responsibility. <laughs> uh, so I was really grateful um, for the opportunity to come in and support him on sort of restructuring. And I think it was at a time where two of the co-founders and owners were like, actually, it's our time to step away from this and bring other people through mm. and our time to... Um, to sort of move out of the business and take a less operational focus and less operational roles. Um, and I was given the opportunity to sort of come in and um, continue the strategy work across the team as COO. So what does a COO look like? What's, what's a day <laughs> in the life of, of Kate Osler? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the day-to-day is spending time with teams, spending time with partners and working across their group strategies and working across actually developing brands or solving problems or um, building things, creating things together. We've done a lot of work on developing what our weekly structure and working structure looks like. And we decided during the pandemic that we would move into a four day working week, predominantly because a lot of our team were working. I think like many people, when we were all locked in and locked up, I think everyone was working really, really long hours. And we were starting to see people start to fade and we were worried about burnout. So um, I think the idea that we're sort of actually looking at flexible time, and we've always worked quite flexibly. I think AEI has always had uh, working from home days and been really flexible with timings with people with kids. Yeah. So um, we we decided to sort of operate a four-day working week and see how that would run. And I think recently we decided actually we could never go back mm. from that because it's given everybody, myself included, that opportunity to be able to either work five days and cut hours out so that you finish early or take a full day off a week to do uh, to do stuff for you and be fully rested. Um, but the productivity across our team has been incredible. So, um, yeah, a lot of our week um, varies because everybody works really flexibly. So not in terms of how we work, but where we work. So location-wise, um, a lot of people come into the office one or two days a week and then we have time to interface and collaborate with each other. And then um, other weeks, it's very much working from home. Um, so, yeah, it, it it does really vary, again, which is what I really love. I love the varied nature of it. Um, so week to week, um, try and spend as much time as possible collaborating in person rather than on the phone. I find yep. it easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just working with our teams and our partners on building their businesses, essentially. Yeah, I think it's so important that you're pushing that. And I think um, work-life balance is something, I don't know if the music industry has been the best at. I think there's definitely things that a lot of people can improve on. But, you know, you, you, we're lucky enough to have so many people in this industry who are so, who are so passionate about what they do that they will kind of put that extra graft in. But I think it's on the leadership teams to spot that and not just let that happen and, and turn a blind eye to it, but then also respect, like, how people work. And yet you can get what you need to in a four-day working week. It's surprising how much you can get done when you know it is just a four-day uh, working week. So, yeah, hugely respect that. Um, uh, loved un- understanding where that's come from. Um, keen to wrap up because I know I've took a lot of your time up that's already. Um, what I wanted to do just to wrap up was, I guess, um, you know, looking back on, on your career as, as a whole and, and everything that you've pivoted and, and tra- transitioned into, 
have you got any secrets to success? Have you got anything that you think what has made you particularly successful? Like what's made your journey um, go the way it has done? Is it something about your personality? Is it the way you work? Is it the people that you've worked with and learned from? I think um, always being open to learning. I think we like just learning from not only your peers, but, um, you know, senior members, but also from junior team. I've, so much of what I've learned is from people who've come in as like apprentices or interns and just completely blown my mind with how things yeah. work. And I love that moment. I love it when someone yeah. does something that I could never even have thought of. And I'm just like, yes, go on. Proud Absolutely. parent moment again. But it, it, but it, but it's amazing. And I think, I think it takes a lot, like, I don't know, it took a lot for me to sort of initially, because you want to be driven, driving, you want to be successful and you want to, to progress. And I think where I've probably where in my career where I've started to progress and to move forward is when I've taken that step back and I've listened, I've learned and I've I've grown. Yeah. And I think accepting that you don't know everything always. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly when you first start, you're like, I know this, I can do this, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> oh, God. Um yeah, no, so I'd say always being open to learning and continuing to learn and accepting that it's a continuous journey. Yeah. And learning from um, everyone and every sort of team member you can I think you can always learn something from everyone anyone you meet yeah and I, I always do and it, I have the great privilege of working with so many amazing people um, encountering so many amazing people so I'd say definitely that um, and having a really amazing support network um, outside of um, working groups I think I met so many mate so many great women and great peers in the music industry across the years and actually having people that you don't work with directly to go so can I just bounce that off you yeah so important um because again like I think you have to accept you don't know all the answers you don't have all the answers but there's there is lots of people out there that do so having that I think has been really useful and really helpful uh, because in moments of complete insecurity of like, oh my God, I just said yes to this. What am I doing? Like, yeah. am I, can I do this? Like in total <laughs> moments of imposter syndrome entering, you know, again, I think I probably wore a suit on day one in Vegas as well. <laughs> um, but like, I think those moments having people behind you and that can make sense of it is really important. Um, and I guess last one is learning what your strengths are. Yeah. Um. And actually not focusing, for me, not focusing on my limitations is actually focusing on, this is what I'm good at. But actually, I work with someone who's absolutely excellent at this. And we work it together on it, we're going to smash it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a power in doubling down on your strengths, but I'm constantly trying to think of what my blind spots are and not to the extent where, I, you know, I let that put me down. But I'm like, I try and be so aware of them so I know like things that I can improve on. Because I think if you just kind of had, have your head down in and not really reflecting on, you know, what you could be better at, it's a bit of a dangerous place to be in. Defo. Um, I mean, I wish I was thinking about blind spots. I usually encounter them <laughs> when I like come head first. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying that as if it's a, a really wise process, but it's usually when um, yeah, no? things mess up that you realise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you realise exactly. where they are. Uh, okay, Brill. And then finally, it'd be good to hear what's next for you. Like, have you got have you got goals? Have you got anything that you still want to take off? Is there anything in the future you'd you'd love to do? You know, personally or, or you know, with the companies as well. Um. So we've got some really exciting um, developments in the company um, coming up over the next few years. And I guess for myself and my business partner Sarah, we want to be able to fully take on the business and take it to the take it to another level yeah um and you know i think 
we we we've you know succeeding to incredible owners founders and being left with you know actually okay the responsibility of saying okay we've now got to take it to the next step yeah and then figure out who the next people are that take it over from us i think um definitely that that part i I think personally i need to figure out work-life balance a bit better it's my constant struggle yeah yeah um but i'm definitely getting better and improving but um that's a week to week thing yeah um and then for the festival um we obviously are working to sell out the show this summer i'd like to get it to where i can see it i'd like to get it to where we can sort of see it being a peak um but that's a couple of years away but i think um you know in terms of capacity we have an idea of where we want to go to so i think we want to build it to get it to there and just be super proud of where we've got to with it i'm always proud of it proud of the team but I think we've got some big ambitions in terms of production and scale that I'd like to get it to. So, wicked! I can't wait to. Uh, I'll be admiring from a distance, seeing so seeing what you all get up to. But I just wanted to say a huge thank you for taking time out to bring uh, to come on today. I know you're um, a very, very, very busy woman, um, and yeah, I've just found that so inspiring. I think you're a very reflective person. You, you know, you kind of you're not risk averse. You're, um, you know, you're always pushing yourself to do the next thing. Um, and again, it's great to kind of learn from another woman in the industry as well, who's who's done incredibly well. So thank you so much, thank and you. good Likewise. luck with your next steps. <laughs> thank Stay you. Fun. Thank you.